Hey friends, and welcome to this week's episode of the U-Turn Podcast. This is your host, Ashley Stahl. I'm a counterterrorism professional turned career coach, speaker, and Forbes blogger, and I created the U-Turn Podcast because, let's face it, every now and again, we realize that we're living life on autopilot, and it's time to wake up and make that U-Turn in your life. So prepare to go deep with some of the most transformational people I know, here to help you grow and upgrade your mindset, whether it's in work or love. Also, be sure to stick around for the end of every episode where I'm going to reflect on the conversation and offer actionable coaching insights to have a real impact on your life. In the meantime, we've opened up access to three free e-courses on uturnpodcast.com. So head on over there if you want to land a new job you love, find your purpose, or launch your dream business. All of these courses are totally free. All you got to do is head on over to uturnpodcast.com. That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N podcast.com. Now let's get started with this week's guest. And I think it's hard for a lot of people, especially people that really love their parents, to talk about this stuff and look at this stuff because you don't want to blame your parents. You don't want to talk bad about your parents or think poorly about them. But this is really actually, if, if you do the work that we're going to talk about, it will bring you closer to your parents. It will help you to love them more. It will help you to forgive them and it will help you to stop dating people like them. So just give yourself, that was one thing that was hard for me is I really felt my parents gave me a great life and loved me a lot. And when I started to go into personal development work and my coach was like, all right, like you need to write an FU letter to your mom and an FU letter to your dad. You're never going to mail it, but we need to start getting your anger out and like what you're upset about with your parents. I felt like I was betraying them. You know, I felt like I can't possibly do this. However, I learned that by not looking at some of the core wounds I had with each of my parents, it was actually preventing me from getting to a place of love and mature relationship that I really wanted to have with them. Hey everybody, it's Ash here and I have such a treat for you. I know how much you're loving the love category, loving the love. So I brought Christine Hassler on. Not only are we in the same circle of friends, so I'm feeling her magic uh, more often than not. And also she is a master coach. She blends spiritual psychology and intuition Y'all know how much I love that. And also, she hosts her own show called Over It and On With It, um, where she actually coaches people on the spot, which, you know, as you can imagine, is so powerful. She's the author of 20-something, 20-everything, as well as Expectation Hangover, and she's a speaker, and of course, an overall amazing human being. And I figured we could talk about how to overcome your blocks to finding true love because she just called in her partner is getting married and it's just such a beautiful partnership to watch and uh, there's some core wounds that I think everybody has that blocks them from really stepping in to the love that they want and so Christine thanks for being here I'm so excited oh thank you for that incredible introduction I'm very excited to be here too whenever I see you Ashley I just light it up because <laughs> you always make me laugh <laughs> and you always inspire me so just oh. thank you for just who you are thank you so much I Honestly, it's it's really fun to talk to you about this, and I feel myself being like, okay, we all have core wounds, so I'm like, okay, I, I've i been joking with everybody who's listening. I'm like, all right, this is Ashley's coaching hour because I use myself as an <laughs> example and service, and so knowing that you spot coach people on a podcast, I'm like preparing for the truth okay, right now. Great. You know? Great. Um, I love it. <laughs> so can you – I know you've had a quite – an exp- like a journey. And like mm-hmm. we were saying before we started recording, you're an OG coach. You've been at it since 2004. I started in 2010. So it's just so interesting to talk to you and hear about your life. Like what brought you to coaching? What experiences were so key for this? My own wounds, <laughs> my own past. So I grew up um, and I had a lot of different things happen to me. And one of the things that was pretty substantial in terms of forming the story I told about myself and my, the world was a bunch of girls turning against me in fourth grade and passing around a note about how not to be my friend and all the things were wrong with me. And I went from like thinking that I was liked and thinking that I belonged to feeling like there was something terribly wrong with me and that I didn't belong. And I also was diagnosed with depression at 11 and medicated for it. I also have some abuse in my past. And so all of those things that happened before the age of 12 and PS, most of us like are 
poor personality is formed by age of 12, like our brain is fully programmed. So anything that happened to you before 12 pretty much is still programming you as a 35 year old or whatever age you are as a grown up until you go back and deal with it, which we're going to be talking about today. So Mm. I was just as an adult carrying around a lot of limiting beliefs about being damaged, being broken, not being liked. And whenever we carry around a lot of those painful beliefs, our ego or basically our survival, the, the, the survival part of us, which is basically our ego, has to come up with some way to feel safe, like some way to feel like we can compensate for all the things we believe are wrong about us or not enough about us. I call these things compensatory strategies. So my particular compensatory strategy was, well, if no one likes me and if I don't fit in, if I'm damaged goods and if I'm broken, then I'm just going to achieve. So I became an overachiever and I thought that my value was completely dependent on what I could do. Not who I was or anything like that, because remember, my limiting belief is I'm not enough, something's wrong with me, I'm damaged goods. So that compensatory strategy of, well, I can get good grades, I can get into a good college, I can have a successful career, I can make money, I can get stuff done, that became my whole identity. And when I wasn't achieving, I was terrified because without achievement and without success and without a goal to check off my list, all those feelings of emptiness would come back up. So I avoided my pain by doing Mm-hmm. very common for many of us. Mm-hmm. And I did and did and did. And I, I graduated from college and I moved out to LA when I was 20. And I worked in the entertainment industry because that's the perfect place to go if you're desperately insecure and need validation is to go work in Hollywood. <laughs> so I worked my way up and I was promoted by the age of 24, just before my 25th birthday, birthday to agent, youngest female agent, I think ever. And I had this great life. I was dating the head of a movie studio. I was uh, making, you know, six figures with 25 years old. I was Oscars, Golden Globes, private jets, hanging out with celebrities. And I still wasn't happy. And I kept checking things off the list and still wasn't happy and was still medicated for depression, was dealing with a lot of body image stuff too, because that's another thing that comes up. If anything traumatic happened in our childhood, particularly abuse, a lot of us will have eating disorders or body image stuff because any situation in which we felt out of control and any kind of abuse or chaos makes us feel out of control as a young person, we will adopt, again, compensatory strategies to feel in control and having control over our body with an eating disorder or body image or whatever it is, like that's that's kind of the way our psyche tries to get control back. Mm. Did that make sense, what I just said? Yeah, it's just interesting because okay. it's like, There's people that, I guess, you know, for lack of a better term, it's like people see them as controlling, right? And then um, does it have to be – because I think about a lot of women – I grew up in L.A., so it's like we all stare at our bodies. And it's funny. I was in Bali writing my book for U-Turn just a couple months ago, and I was with a friend who is on the U-Turn podcast, Sam Skelly. And um, do you know Sam, Christine? Yeah. Oh, she's such a magical little creature. And she – we were, she teaches emotional eating. So that's really funny because I have my snacksidents and, um, (laughs) I was looking at a shirt and I was like, Oh, I need a way bigger size than that. And she's like, what are you talking about? Like, you're not that size. And so, you know, like, she's kind of like, uh, is this your dysmorphia thing where you think you're a size that you're not? And so I'm curious, like, how does this control really look for those who felt like, you know, things were out of control as a kid. Because to me, growing up in LA, it's not an excuse, but I definitely like have always known what my body looks like. I've always wanted the newest facial that's going to make my skin amazing, you know? Right, Um, right. So talk to me, like for anybody listening right now, what can that control look like? So control can look like a lot of things and we all have the different ways that we do it. But again, the primary and, and, and this is going to sound silly because people think, oh, no, what I think about most is how to make money or how to be good at my job or how to lose five pounds or 10 pounds or how to get the, the relationship I want. But really, our primary driver of our unconscious mind, which controls 95% of our behavior, is safety, mm-hmm. is basically how do I stay safe? And because we don't live in a world where we're looking for shelter or food or any of those things, how we stay safe stay safe is to feel like we belong, to feel like we're validated, to feel like people like us, to feel like we're accepted, to not feel like someone's going to judge us or someone's going to hurt us. So control is basically 
any way that we think will keep us safe. So some people like you might be controlling in terms of your body or physical appearance because you decided at a young age to thrive in the system, to survive in LA, I need to look a certain way. Mm. For other people, it might be they had abuse or they had chaos. And so they're like, you know what? I didn't feel like I had any control as a child. So I'm going to be super controlling about my food and my body because that gives me a sense of control, AKA safety. And that's really where control is coming from. And the, and the, the interesting thing is control is a complete illusion. We really don't have it. We have choice. We have discernment. We have influence. But in terms of having control over the universe or really over what can happen in a day, we don't have 100% control. Yet it is our biggest addiction. Mm-hmm. It was mine, you know, and it was the thing that I lived in a very much like the world happens to me, not for me, <laughs> but, but things happen to me. And so my only way to feel safe in the world was to control as much of my environment as, as I could, because whenever as a kid or young person, we have anything shocking and it doesn't have to be traumatic. It doesn't have to be abuse. It can be one person saying one bad thing about you or overhearing a fight, just something that makes you feel unsafe in any way or makes you feel like you don't belong in any way is going to put you into a pattern of looking for ways to keep yourself safe, looking for ways to protect yourself, looking for ways to have control when in that one moment you felt like you didn't have any. Mm, Okay. Safety is such an interesting topic because for me, I think with dating, it's like, I always want to feel safe with a partner. And yeah, I think it's like such an interesting line between a real thing, you know, where there's doesn't feel like there's actual emotional safety with somebody. And it could be, I don't know if it's possible, but could be neutral of you. Like maybe they speak in a way where there's like toxicity or something like that. So I'm curious, like for everybody listening, I think everyone has probably felt a sense of safety and I know, and you know, it's an inside job. So How do we kind of communicate this concept of safety for those listening of where they might have an opportunity to reevaluate their belief system or their relationship to safety? Well, so for everybody listening right now, let's just do something together. Let's just all take a deep breath and put one hand on your heart and one hand on your belly and just inwardly say, I'm safe. So, so Ashley, I assume you did that. So did you notice any shift when you did that? Yeah, of course. Just like warmth. Yeah, exactly. So you said it earlier, it is an inside job and how we create a longer term feeling of safety so we can get out of these compensatory strategies is by going back and healing a lot of the core wounds, doing the inner work and to circle back to your question on how I became a coach. Basically my life fell apart and my compensatory strategy wasn't working anymore. I lost everything and I found a coach. Her name is Mona. And I started to really get out of kind of psychiatry and psychologists and medicating myself and into personal development and personal work. And I started to experience shifts and that motivated me to write my first book and then coach people. And so it was really born out of my own journey. Mm. And, but before I could really go back and deal with those core wounds, I had to start embodying the feeling of safety. So that simple exercise that I just took you through is something that everybody can start doing like now. And even, you know, when you're on a date and you start to feel unsafe, like just subtly one hand to your belly, one hand to your heart, and and you can just pretend you're cold or something and just internally go, I am, I am safe because until our system, like our nervous system, Mm-hmm. starts to feel like we can create a feeling of safety inside us, it will be scary to go back and deal with those core wounds. Mm. So the first thing we need to do is just be present in our body, take deep breaths, do things that calm our nervous system down. So we start to flex that muscle of feeling safe in our body and not looking for outside sources to make us feel that way. Mm, got it. And, you know, I also think for the girl who sometimes we can spiritually bypass, right? Where we will say, and for anybody listening, if you haven't thought about this idea, it's like, 
I think a lot of people might say something's because because personal development encourages you to take responsibility. Sometimes mm-hmm. my people will be in a connection and they might think to themselves, well, safety is an inside job. So it's not me. It's not them. It's me. But sometimes you're with someone that isn't creating an environment that feels emotionally safe. And it's not necessarily in the extremes, right? It doesn't have to be someone right. who's like kicking you in the face or like right. telling you you're awful. Um, what are some indicators or convert, what can conversations look like for anybody listening who maybe they're dating or maybe they are at work and it's not an emotionally safe dynamic? Like what are some things that are indicators of that for somebody? Um, well, the first thing is just how your body feels. (laughs) Like if you notice that you're driving to work and you're feeling okay, and then you walk into an environment and you see someone or someone says something to you and all of a sudden you have knots in your stomach or all of a sudden you stop breathing or all of a sudden you start itching somewhere. Like the body is one of the best feedback mechanisms to alert us that, uh uh-oh, like red flag, something's, something's off. A second indicator is if you start going into like patterns that aren't really you, like you start being inauthentic, Mm -hmm. like you say, yes, when you mean no, you start people pleasing, even though you're really not a people pleaser, you start being a chameleon. You aren't speaking up. Um, you basically you start contorting yourself into what you think you need to be, to be safe in that environment, Mm. to be liked, to not get in trouble, like whatever, whatever, whatever it may be. Mm. And the third thing I would say as an indicator is just your overall, like, flow is, is thwarted. Meaning I always know, like when back when I was dating, when I was overthinking a text to send someone, that was a red flag to me that this is not, this is not authentic. This is not safe. Like if I don't feel safe to be myself, like if you feel in some way, shape or form blocked to just really be you, that's another indicator Mm -hmm. that something's off Mm -hmm. because you're editing yourself again, you're back to contorting yourself. You're second guessing yourself and you're just not feeling safe enough to fully be authentically you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So good. And so true. And, you know, just since we're going into like, you know, overcoming blocks to love, um, are there any other dating indicators for anyone listening or even relationship indicators, you know, whether you're dating or not, um, you're in a relationship, um, that you feel like is really important. Cause I think thinking about your text, thinking about what you say, contorting yourself, like are yeah. there different ways that uh, men or women will communicate to each other, um, or habits that they have with each other outside of, gen- you know, the general, like, okay, I'm not being myself or my body's off, um, that you find really common, like, especially like narcissistic personalities, stuff like yep. that. Yeah. Well, I think, yeah, I think so narcissistic personalities, which is basically narcissists are interesting because they're super charming and super charismatic. And it's not, it's not obvious they're narcissists from the beginning. Um, and narcissists actually, especially narcissistic men love smart, successful women, you know? And I, I'm so glad I had one short relationship with a narcissist and I'm so glad I did. I had, I had one too, like, and oh, it was not yeah, as short so you as had I your wish. initiation. Yeah. It was an indoctrination <laughs> is what it really was. Really. And you look back on it and you're like, wow. And the best way I can kind of sum it up is you can walk into a conversation with a narcissist knowing you're wearing a blue shirt and after a conversation with them, you leave the room thinking, is my shirt green? He kept saying my shirt was green. I'm pretty sure it's blue, but maybe it's green. Meaning you just start to doubt yourself. Yes. You start to doubt yourself like crazy. You're gaslighted a lot. You think that like you try to communicate your truth, but then somehow it's spun around and you end up apologizing for it. Yes. And so those are some like some key indicators that like this person. And if you find that really the focus is on them, mm-hmm. like the only time they're talking about you is telling you what you're doing wrong. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of the conversation is about them and their life and what they're up to and what you can do for them. That's another big indicator that the person's probably a narcissist. Mm. So important to look at. And for me, it's like, wow, why did I end up dating someone that was a narcissist? Mm-hmm. Well, there was a little bit of core wounding from my past and that I had to look at a little bit of emotional unavailability with my dad. And so, and now we've, he, we've worked through that. But again, this is the other thing that's so important for everybody listening. 
you can't look at your relationship with your parents now as like the most important, right? You can't look at you, you can't say, oh, well, my relationship with my parents is fine now. So it must not be affecting my dating life. It's how it was when you were growing up that created the programming. Mm. So you got to look at what your relationship was like with your parents then. And, you know, for me, I love my dad. He's great. And he was in his head a lot and he worked a lot. And I think I was craving emotional availability yeah. and narcissists are not emotionally available yeah. <laughs> at, all. <laughs> at all. So I really had to look and be like, Oh wow. I was trying to get something from this man that I didn't get from my father because I know I'm kind of tangentially going, so you can bring me back to like the red flags, but I just want to go down this road a little bit because I think it's valuable. Yeah. So just backing up to why do we date our parents? Meaning why do we date people that remind us of our parents or that kind of display qualities that our parents have? Here's why. So when we're born, we know we're connected to, you can call it God, source, spirituality. Like we just know we're loved. We know we're whole. We know we're complete. We're still very connected to the fact that we're spiritual beings having a human experience. But then as we get older and we start to have language and we, our brain starts to kick in and we start to see the world through, through the lens more of judgment, good, bad, right, or wrong, we start to project God onto our parents. Like they become our gods. So in other words, we deify our parents. Because if you think about it as a kid, your parents kind of are your God. They're the ones taking care of you. They're the ones whose love you really crave. They're the ones who are responsible for all your needs. And they're the people that are your authority figures. So we look up to them and we deify them a lot. And in that deification of our parents, so much of our sense of like self-love and self-worth and validation is wrapped up in how they treat us and what we did or didn't get from them. Mm. So whatever love, approval, validation, sense of worthiness, affection we didn't get from mom or dad, we will go out and look for in romantic partners. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter. Like you might, you might be heterosexual and there might be unresolved issues with your mom. It doesn't matter. You'll still look for mom and a man. Yeah. And we try to ease that wound by dating people that are similar to our parents. And what I have learned after trying that for a while is that doesn't (laughs) work. (laughs) Yeah. It does not work. It does not work because one, you can't, people can change, but you can't change people. And two, what it will do is it will just, we do these things because our soul is trying to heal. Like we're really trying to learn. So we go out and pick people that actually don't give us what we want so that we actually can suffer enough to maybe take a look at some of our issues and stop playing out that pattern. Okay. So there's so much here. Um, I know that we kind of talked before we started recording about the like three examples and I know there's so many different wounds, but core wounds that people may have faced if you're listening um, with your parent and how you're playing it out. And just funny for those of you listening, Christine, like I'm kind of like cringing at myself listening to this because I'm like, Oh my gosh. So recently I was dating a guy and he's like my dad reincarnated. Like it's unbelievable. Like little things like my dad has snack accidents, which is where I get it from. And his entire Mm -hmm. refrigerator is Girl Scout cookies and chocolate. And he Mm -hmm. is like this funny little character. And my dad's a funny little character, but he's high anxiety. I was like, wow. Except this guy's going to therapy and my dad wouldn't. So I'm like, wow, I'm really trying to work out my dad in this way. And I think it's kind of slippery for people who are listening to really figure out like what parent they're trying to date. So is there a way for you to kind of like spell it out of like, well, let's think about your mom. Let's think about your dad. Let's think about your ex. Like, you know. Sure, sure. And when we think about these things, the other thing is like it's never just one thing, right? We're complex we're all complex individuals. And I don't mean to say like, it's going to take years of therapy and personal growth work to figure out all your stuff. Um, but it, it does take just some patience and some willingness. And I think it's hard for a lot of people, especially people that really love their parents to talk about this stuff and look at this stuff because you don't want to blame your parents. You don't want to talk bad about your parents or think poorly about them. But this is really actually, if, if you do the work that we're going to talk about, it will bring you closer to your parents. It will help you to love them more. It will help you to forgive them and it will help you to stop dating people like them. So just give yourself, that was one thing that was hard for me is I really felt my parents gave me a great life and loved me a lot. And when I started to go into personal development work and my coach was like, all right, like 
you need to write an FU letter to your mom and an FU letter to your dad. You're never going to mail it, but we need to start getting your anger out and like what you're upset about with your parents. I felt like I was betraying them. You know, Mm -hmm. I felt like I can't possibly do this. However, I learned that by not looking at some of the core wounds I had with each of my parents, it was actually preventing me from getting to a place of love and mature relationship that I really wanted to have with them. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to start with that because it can be hard to look at some of these things, especially if you have a, you know, if you really love your parents. Now, some of you may be listening and going, no, 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 it's easy for me to look at all the stuff my parents put me through because maybe you don't have a great relationship with them. So some of the key things that can happen, and I've noticed this from working with people for the past 15 years in terms of the wounding, is growing up with a parent who really you felt like nothing you ever did was enough. They were extra critical. They were judgmental. They were always telling you like what you need to do more of, what you need to do better at. Like if you got a grade in school that wasn't good, you got in trouble for it. Like you just never felt like enough. You never felt like they were proud of you. You never felt like you could just be you, like just being you was good enough for them. And um, that's very common and it can be subtle too. It can be one of those very subtle things where it wasn't overt, but you could tell that your parents lit up more when you won the, won the tournament or when you got a good grade or when you brought home the boy that they really liked or whatever it may be. So these things can be super overt and super obvious, or they can be subtle, which is why it's often good to have a coach or someone that you're working through some of the stuff with, because it's always nice to have another perspective. So that's, that's one of them. Another one is a parent that really, um, you felt abandoned or betrayed by. So your parents could have gotten divorced um, and you could have felt abandoned that way or one parent could have left. One parent could have cheated on another parent and so you felt a sense of betrayal. Um, You could have been abused by either parent, mentally, emotionally, physically, or sexually. And that is like the ultimate sense of betrayal when the person that is supposed to take care of you and that you trust the most hurts you in some way. Uh, and again, these can be subtle or really overt. Like, you know, obviously if you have a parent that abused you in some way, that's pretty obvious. But if you had a parent that maybe just worked a lot, but was still around, that could be more subtle. But as a kid, you might've felt slightly abandoned. Like their work was more important than you. Mm-hmm. And the third one, and, and again, we're just putting these in buckets. There's nuances to all these, and there are more than just these three, but these are kind of the three biggest trends is almost feeling overloved by a parent, being a little smothered by a parent, um, or feeling like you had to be your parent's parent. Like perhaps all of a sudden, like your dad left the family and mom was an emotional wreck and you had younger siblings and you had to step up and take care of mom and the siblings. And all of a sudden you were a parent at the age of seven or like you were a surrogate spouse to one of your parents. Um, like they didn't get the affection from their actual spouse. And so they really leaned on you or you were their whole world. You were their whole life. This is something that I've seen a lot, especially with the millennial generation. Like they felt like they were their parents' whole entire world. And that can be tricky too, because you can feel smothered. You can start to confuse like what love really is. You can start to push love away because you don't want your identity to be robbed. If you felt like you were a parent at a young age and had to take care of like your parent or your siblings, you may resist commitment or you may attract projects because you think your whole sense of worth comes from taking care of people. So there's just so many ways this could go based on your own individual story. But what I really want to say that I hope brings some hope is that all of this is healable. All of it. All of it. And all of us came in with certain we picked our parents. I truly believe like on a like to get woo just for a second, like on a spiritual level, we did pick our parents based on the lessons we needed to learn in this lifetime. So just know that you picked your parents to learn certain lessons so that your soul could grow and you could really, really live into your full potential. Mm, So looking at the core wound of never feeling accepted by your parent, just to unpack this for everybody listening who's trying to figure out like, which one am I? Because there's a little of all of it sometimes. Do you know what I mean? Sure. Sure. And so to figure out which one and what does that mean for you and your behaviors and how to really step out of those so that you can create the person you want. Um, So never feeling accepted by your parents. So these are typically the parents who are very strict um, and very critical. Can you give me some more info on like maybe what that could look like for someone? 
in in their childhood or in their adult life? I think in their childhood because that's when you're saying up until age twelve, right? That everything is normal. yeah, yeah. So it can look like, for example, um, you you ca- um, you came home and you were proud of an art project you did, but you only got an A minus, and a parent said to you, "Why didn't you get an A plus? Mm-hmm. What could you do better next time?" Or let's say you were super creative. And, um, your parents were maybe more like they were lawyers or doctors or, you know, just not in the creative world. And you came down the stairs one day and you put on this outfit that you thought was super fabulous and you were felt so good in it and you felt so confident. And your mother said to you, that looks ridiculous. Go and change into something that's more, you know, more appropriate. Mm. Like boom, like in that moment, you decided that your authentic expression wasn't safe and wasn't good enough. Mm. Um, it could look at, it could look like parents who really pressured you to pursue college and a degree and like, you know, always being the best and nothing was ever enough. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's kind of how the approval yeah. and validation looks. Well, yeah. So this is interesting. So, um, this was not mine. I already can kind of take a look at this buffet, if you will, and figure out what snack I'm going to (laughs) eat. But, um, my best friend growing up in high school, um, she had parents who were doctors and they always wanted better grades from her. And she grew up to have eating disorders and drug addiction. And thankfully now she's married to a really beautiful man and they're really happy. And she's the most stable I've ever seen her. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think it's without the guy, she would be this way. Like she's just healed so much, but I'm curious, like, if you're the person that wasn't accepted by your parent and you had really strict parents or critical or just there wasn't that safety that you felt, um, what are some things that you think show up with this specific core wound as an adult so that people listening could be like, shit, I'm doing that? (laughs) You've internalized their voices, meaning you're really critical and judgmental of yourself. Mm. Like, you never think what you've done is enough. You criticize yourself as a way to motivate yourself. Like... If you, if you criticize your body enough, you'll exercise that type of thing. So criticism becomes your main internal dialogue. Like you've lost sort of your own voice and the inner critic, inner judge basically runs the show. And you probably have a compensatory strategy similar to mine in that you achieve, achieve, achieve because you think all of your worthiness is depending on doing. And it feels scary to take risks. Like let's use the example of the kid who wore their super fabulous outfit and came downstairs feeling all confident and told was, were told they look stupid in that moment, like their creativity was squashed. So you could be someone in a job that you're there because you think you should. And because it's safe, because like, that's what society and maybe your parents told you is the right thing to do. And that's what you think you need to do. But like inside you're dying because there's this creative part of you that's not expressed, but because that never got approved, you don't think that it's okay. Mm -hmm. to express that part. And then also in, in dating, how this often looks is you, you probably experience a lot of rejection in dating. You probably go for the people that are going to reject you the quickest because on some level you believe you're worthless. (laughs) Like you Mm -hmm. believe that you're worthless and, and you like, I know this sounds counterintuitive, but it's almost like unconsciously you look for opportunities to criticize yourself because that's what you're most familiar with. So you'll go for people that either reject you or that are critical of you or are highly judgmental of themselves and you. Hey, U-Turners, so sorry for the quick interruption, but I want to make sure you know that this episode has been brought to you by the Job Offer Academy, our e-course to help you land a new job you love. So if you're sick of applying for jobs and never hearing back, and you'd like to try a free version of our job hunting course, just head on over to U-TurnPodcast.com slash job offer. That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N podcast.com slash job offer. Now let's get back to this week's episode. And I think that a lot of people create career paths out of their wounds, right? Like thinking about, totally, you know, so I'm curious, like somebody who doesn't feel accepted, it's like, I could see the reaction to that being like, I'm going to be a lawyer and fight for justice, you know, yep. I don't know. Yep. Um, yep. Or I'm going to be one of my best friends. She's a female empowerment, incredible human. And I think this is her core wound because she's always very self-critical. 
But I think yep. we're all a bit self-critical, so it becomes kind of slippery. But I definitely don't feel like my parents were always, like, encouraging, like, me to wave the freak flag all the way. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, the other way this can show up, because my parents were too, however, they, especially my dad, was very, very critical of himself. Mm, that's such a good and little so, loophole. Yeah. The other way this can show up is, again, we are sponges and we're always modeling our parents. And I, my dad, you know, I, I, okay, so here's, here's the puzzle. So I thought I was not enough compensated by being not successful, but compensated by being successful. I looked at like the, who in, who out of my parents was quote unquote successful in terms of achievement. That would be my dad. He had the fancy job. He had the office. He had the nice car. He got the awards. So I was like, oh, okay. In order to be successful, which is going to make me feel worthy, I need to be like him. Oh, he's really hard on himself. Oh, he's really critical of himself. Oh, I guess I need to be hard and critical of myself to be successful. Mm -hmm. So these are the other ways that these kind of operating systems get put into place is modeling a parent. Modeling. It's it's, It's also funny because I think, well, not funny, but it's like we are also from a feminine energy, masculine energy standpoint, it's like sometimes it's hard for us to receive compliments. Yeah. And in in society, the way that it shows up is you look maybe self-absorbed if you're like, yep, I'm amazing. Thank you for the compliment, right? So um, obviously in that tone is really great for that. (laughs) But (laughs) the point being, you know, I think a lot of people struggle to own their greatness because in society that's perceived as egotistical sometimes. And it's funny Mm because my best friend the other day, Nicole, who's a therapist, Nicole Napovar, she was saying to me, um, oh, Ashley, like she like complimented something. And I said, Oh, Nick, you know, I was, I'm trying or something. She said, she said, Oh, aren't you going to own it? And finally I was like, yeah, you're right. I'm amazing. Like I joke around with her yeah, and she's constantly joking with me saying like, you do own your, own your accomplishments. And so I'm curious for anybody listening who there, there's a double whammy there, right? Where they don't feel accepted. So they learn to self-criticize just because mm-hmm. that's how they learn. And also in society, it's not encouraged for you to own how awesome you are. So what tools can we offer somebody listening right now that is really self-critical? Like, how can they receive a compliment? How can they start looking at talking to themselves differently? Yeah. So I think when it comes to dealing with your inner critic, it's, it's, it's yes, owning your amazingness, but that's a big pendulum swing for the inner critic. And you're right. Like sometimes that can feel awkward because then we're like, am I arrogant now? So it's really to me about radical self-acceptance that's what it's about. It's about like such a deep level of radical self-acceptance of like, wow, like I didn't do as well as I really wanted to in that meeting. And that's okay. I forgive myself and I'm going to ask, what can I learn rather than like beat the crap out of myself. And to also know that criticizing the inner critic and judging the judger doesn't work. (laughs) It just adds more fuel to the fire. So know that these parts are protecting you. Like they really think, they really think they're doing a good job. Like your inner critic really believes it's keeping you safe. It's getting shit done. And it's, it basically is, is giving you the results you want in life because you've been using it as a protector and a driver for so long. And so it's just even accepting your inner critic going, thank you, inner critic, I know all these years you've been protecting me. I know you think you've been motivating me. And I just ask you, let's just say together, I'm doing the best I can. Mm-hmm. You know, right. I'm doing the best I can. So it's it's talking to that inner critic, on a, on, honestly, like a five-year-old child. Because for most of us, the inner critic got formed at around five <laughs> yeah. when we started to learn good, bad, right, wrong. And it's it's like talking to it with the patience of a loving mother. And this is where, back to the parent thing, we, we can't change our parents. We can't change our past and how we really attract healthy relationships, especially romantic relationships, how we stop dating our parents basically is we become that loving mother, that loving father that we always wanted inside ourselves. Like everything that we didn't get from our parents, we parent ourselves in that way. And the more we do that, the less the need for that inner critic is there because basically, again, the inner critic thinks it's keeping us safe. It, in a way, becomes a parent. So if you really rev up 
that inner mother, inner father inside of you and think about everything you wanted from mom or dad that you didn't get and really give that to yourself, then then you'll create a feeling of safety inside yourself and that inner critic won't need to be there so much. Beautiful. And, you know, for anybody listening, I'm sure they're thinking, okay, this is mine or this isn't. The second one I think is mine. And so I would love to talk about it just because I can speak from what I know. Abandonment or betrayal by a parent. So that could be divorce, leaving, abusive. It also can just be somebody, like in my case, I believe, and you can correct me here, Christine, is um, like my dad had a lot of anxiety when I was a kid. He lost his company and he was very distracted, Mm -hmm. always on his phone, always in a panic. Um, And even as an adult now, this has been my work. And I think this is what brought me to personal development is like wanting to heal from feeling this like constriction in my chest and this hunger for love. And so... I'm curious um, for you to paint like a a whole picture of what does that look like? Because I know there's a whole spectrum, you know, it's like Mm -hmm. my parents are happily married. They're not divorced and nobody ever left the house. My dad even worked from home when he was having his panic attacks, you know, Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. he was around. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I would just be curious to hear about that. Yeah. And thank you for sharing that. And, and that you already have so much insight on it in it. And it makes so much sense that in a way you did feel abandoned because abandonment doesn't necessarily mean someone physically leaves us. It means that we feel, again, we, we don't feel safe. We feel like the primary caregiver isn't capable of giving us the care we need and meeting our needs. And so in your experience, Ashley, like your dad, even though he was physically there and your parents were married and all that kind of stuff, you being around him panicking affected your feeling of safety. Because here's dad who, especially the man who's supposed to kind of keep it together and give a feeling of safety, you could feel his anxiety because kids were, I mean, we're so super sensitive. We pick up everything. Mm -hmm. And so in that way, you did feel abandoned a little bit because you didn't feel completely safe. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the ways it can show up is if like a parent isn't present either physically or kind of emotionally Mm -hmm. and it can look like even even if your parents got divorced and you saw both parents and it was an okay divorce, little it's so hard for little kids not to think it had something to do with them. And so that's another way you can kind of feel a little bit of abandonment of like, why wasn't I enough for them to fight for it? Like, why wasn't I enough for them to stick together? Mm-hmm. And so that can um, perpetuate a feeling of like worthlessness and and, like not enoughness. And then when we look to betrayal, um, some of the things I mentioned about abuse and neglect and, um, a parent cheating on another parent or a parent lying to you in some way, again, these, these really show up in terms of trust issues. Mm. Like it's really, really hard to trust people and to really let people in and really be intimate when this is one of your core wounds. Mm-hmm. doable. To- again, everything we're talking about is healable, but if you relate to any of the things I'm saying and you have a hard time really really letting people in or you let in toxic unhealthy people, those are probably indicators you resonate with this one. Mhm. And when it comes to the outside manifestation kind of like we talked about with the other core wound of the parent that didn't accept you. So for the per- person who had a parent who wasn't emotionally available to them, whether that looked like divorce, leaving, abuse, or just the person like my dad who was just freaking out about his career path and mm-hmm. I was the recipient. Um, what is that, you know, you were saying like dating people that aren't available. Mm-hmm. What are some other manifestations of somebody who may have had have this core wound in the way that I've processed mine? Yeah, uh, like a constant feeling of anxiety, mm-hmm. like a constant feeling of when, like worrying, when is the other shoe going to drop? Mm-hmm. Um, that would be the biggest one, like really wondering like when the next blow was going to come mm-hmm. and, and also like a feeling of feeling lonely, mm-hmm. like a feeling of feeling lonely and a feeling of, I, I mean, unlovable is a strong word, but that's kind of how it feels. Like you kind of feel like, gosh, am I worthy of love? Does anyone really love me? And even doubting people when they do love you. Because again, with abandonment and betrayal, sometimes you have that misunderstanding that you're not enough in some way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. And like, how does somebody, so I've done so much healing and I'm really grateful 
to myself that I've like invested yeah. this amount of time to be this aware. But I know a lot of people listening, you know, they're not in, working in personal development and obviously they may want to do it because they're here listening to this podcast. But I think it can be quite daunting if that's your default setting that you yeah. tend yeah. to feel like the other shoe's going to drop you. You're on high alert, which is like, you know, yeah. fight or flight. So what can somebody do right now that's kind of identifying with this and they're thinking, yeah, my parents weren't around in the way I needed them to be. And everybody has had that experience in some way. Sure, sure. Um, but what, what are some recommendations? So the exercise we did earlier with one hand on your heart, one hand in your belly, I am safe. I'm enough. I am loved. Like saying those things to yourself are really important because the thing with this particular one is it's, it's, it triggers a fight, flight, or freeze pattern. It's very oriented in the nervous system. So you want to do things that help really like calm down your nervous system and make you feel safe in your body. So meditation, um, any kind of like being out in nature, breath work is another great example. Any kind of visualization or listening to like binaural beats, those kinds of things. Um, things that are like soothing to your body, like actually just taking your fingers and rubbing your inner wrist lightly and just soothing yourself, like holding a stuffed animal, anything that starts to calm your nervous system down and take you out of fight or flight or freeze are some of the tangible, like immediate things that I can offer people. After that, it's really about, you know, I'm sure you wouldn't be where you are today, Ashley, without your coaches and personal development. It is about having support and having guidance and having tools because sense abandonment and betrayal really triggers that like I'm alone, I'm on my own feeling, mm -hmm. having a really good support system around you and feeling safe in that support system and feeling like you have people that you can trust with even your most vulnerable, vulnerable stuff is really, really important to working with this one. Yeah, exactly. I think like for me, that's why community has been so healing. I And I'm yeah. also a bit of a an extremist when it comes to friends. And I think that's how I've learned to manage my time. For those of you listening, it's like, I am very much like I'm in or I'm out. And that's how I've been a really amazing friend. Cause I don't have my energy leaking anywhere. Like I'm not, I'm not at a dinner that I feel medium about pretty much at any point. Yeah. And yeah. sometimes my healing is to like find the middle ground. But what I'm finding is that with these friendships, with these connections, they feel like family. We're so committed to each other. And that's been really healing for me to have connections that can show up for me and offer me the kind of understanding that I always wanted as a kid. And, mm -hmm. and so I'm curious, um, you know, just this third core wound, you talk about enmeshment from a parent and I mm -hmm. had a boyfriend who had this. And so this one's giving me like a weird little smirk. So tell me about this one. <laughs> <laughs> well, how did it show up with your boyfriend? His dad just like had a dad that didn't do anything for him. And so the dad interpreted that as I'm going to do everything for him. Uh -huh. And this guy didn't even go to the gas station to pump his gas. Yeah. Like the dad would wake up and like fill his gas tank and get him groceries before he woke up. And, and so I actually like couldn't date him anymore. Cause I just was like, I don't like respect your manhood. Like I feel like, yep. and, and then, and so he has low self-esteem, I think, or maybe not anymore, hopefully. Um, cause overall it's really good guy. So I'm curious how this looks, but I feel like I've been in this, in this world <laughs> You're like, I know this one. Well, so you you gave a great example of one way that it can look is showing up and just feeling like it, basically it's adult adolescence. It's never really growing up. It's kind of this feeling of never individuating. And so when we don't individuate, we don't have a lot of autonomy. We're not big self-starters. This can also look as, you know, so some of you listening, you may be like, well, I wasn't that spoiled. Like I didn't have a parent that did everything for me. But they were kind of a mesh and a mesh basically means that you were like a little too close. There weren't clear boundaries of I am the parent and you are the child. And there was some emotional manipulation too. Like, for example, let's say you did something as a kid, like you, like, I don't know, lied on a test or something like that. Just something silly that kids do. And your mom made it like, I can't believe you did this to me and you embarrassed me and da, 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 da. And like, your, your, one of your, your parent makes kind of your actions about them. And that, that's kind of one of the ways that we enmesh. Another way we enmesh is just being like too close to our parents, like best friends, basically. Mm -hmm. And when there's that kind of enmeshment, it's, it's hard to individuate. So 
how that can look is you may have a lot of trouble making decisions. You may consistently be going back to that parent and asking for their advice about like everything Mm -hmm. when you're 30 years old and really you should start be trusting. You should be trusting your own wisdom (laughs) rather than triggering. I'm like remembering my ex. I'm like, ugh, get off the phone. Okay. Exactly. You're like, you're a grown man. (laughs) Stop it. Yeah. But see, that's so to give a window into his dad's wounding. So basically instead of his father fathering himself and giving himself all the things that he didn't get from his father, he basically lived through his son and tried to give himself everything he didn't get through his son, which wasn't healthy, obviously for any of them. Um, so, and, and, and the other thing that this can do is it can set up like a lot of guilt. Like if you want to go and do your own thing, or you want to make a decision that maybe isn't in alignment with what your parents want from you, that it's very, very hard. Like you feel like you're going to be betraying them if you follow your own dreams and you do your own thing. Like you honestly think like you live your life to please your parents, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is, which is not the path to a fulfilling life in any way, shape or form. And so the other way that this enmeshment can show up, like I mentioned is when you become the caretaker of your parent, like all of a sudden your parent on some level had you take care of their emotional needs in some way, or you knew too much about their marriage or basically the the lines blurred again between child and adult. And the way this can show up, like I mentioned, is you can start being a savior and a rescuer and just take on projects, or you can go to the other extreme and be like, you know what? I don't want anybody in my space anymore. And it's just better off to be alone. So those are kind of the two extremes that that one can go to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's, I'm just thinking of so many people. And so to close out before I ask where everybody can find you, I wanted to ask you about a situation that I think is very interesting that a lot of people don't think about. And it's this idea of when you find the right thing, sometimes it doesn't feel all that spark that you're hoping for. And I've talked yep. about this on other pods about, you know, like the bigger the the bigger the spark, the bigger the wound sometimes, right? So So true. Talk to me because right now, like for all of you listening and let's all just pray that none of the men I'm dating are listening to this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) None of the men plural. I I like it. That's exactly the problem. There's a whole rotation. So I'm, I mean, obviously I, I'm just dating and getting to know people. And what I'm finding is that the connections, there's a couple connections I have where I call it to my girlfriends, neutral plus one. I'm like, I'm neutral about him, plus one. Like, I like I like him a little more every time I see him. You know, like, that's kind of my story. And a couple of my friends who are therapists, which, you know, I'm, I'm trying to unpack why is every friend I have a therapist? What does this mean about me? And then I'm letting <laughs> that whole thing go. But all of them are like, oh, that's good. We like that guy. We like neutral plus one. And I'm like, but it's kind of boring. Like, you know, yeah. what about that, like, flashy, magical guy that was, like, so cool and swaggy in that time? And yeah. there's so much sparks and... They're like, no, we don't like that one. We like the one that's neutral plus one who like you like them a little more every time and you're a little bit bored, but not that bored. It's like, can you unpack for everybody like this experience of when you are meeting somebody and you're not in your wounds? Yeah. So I I got asked on a panel once, like, what's your type? And I'm like, whatever my main issue is, I was working through it at that time. That was my type. So we attract basically whatever we need to work through until we get to a point where, you know, we're always growing. We're always growing. But until we get to a point where our core wounding isn't, isn't driving our behavior anymore, like we actually shift into our, our truest qualities, our truest visions and dreams, like our values are actually driving our behavior. And when we get to that point, we, we start attracting people that are more in resonance with us and that are actually more a good like partner. Mm-hmm. So for me, when I met my fiance, it, it didn't feel like fireworks. It didn't feel like, Oh my God, Oh my God, I'm mad. It felt like home. It felt like Oh, wow. Like I can, I felt safe. Mm -hmm. I felt like I can be me. So I don't know if I am on, on the camp of neutral plus one. Uh, my, my feedback, you're not asking for my feedback, but your situation. Talk to me. So my feedback is that these are all clarifying ones. They're not the ones they're clarifying ones. And you're learning this dance between 
going for the like super attract because I call them issue based relationships when the, the chemistry is so high. That's the only reason that you'd go into them because you know that there are red flags all over, but the chemistry is so hot. You just can't help it. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's kind of one end of the extreme. And then the other end of the extreme is, wow, this feels safe and this feels good, but there's not really any kind of spark at all. Mm-hmm. And so it sounds to me like you're, you're getting your range, like you're, you're testing. It's like when you go into the frozen yogurt store and you have to try like a bunch of flavors before you do. decide the one you want. <laughs> yeah, That's what it sounds like to me. And for me, I would never want to have neutral plus one. I want to feel like home. And so I tell everybody like you, when you feel home, when you feel safe, when you can feel like you can be you and you want to jump the person, that's when you nailed it. Mm, interesting. And Christine, I feel like there's, I have had a guy in my past that did feel like home, but he couldn't give me some of the things that felt really important. So it's such a calibration, but yeah. I'm just like, wow, this is so great. I'm so excited for everybody who listens. And I'm sure at this point, everybody's like, where is she? So where can everybody find you for all of the things? <laughs> all the things. So um, if they, if, if you're starting, if what I'm saying is resonating with you and you're intrigued, but a little confused, and we talked about a lot of issues and you're like, I don't know what to do next. My personal mastery course, if you just go to christinepassler.com slash mastery, really unpacks this all for you. And in that course, you get monthly coaching calls with me and Facebook lives and a live retreat every year. So there's a lot there. And if you just want to learn more about my work, you can go to christinehauser.com and get my free coaching assessment and definitely follow me on Instagram. That's my favorite and check out the podcast over it and on with it. A lot of these issues that we talked about will start to be more become more clear if you listen to the podcast because you actually hear, hear me work with people unpacking all these things. Mm, so good. Thank you so much for being here. And everybody, thanks for listening. Thanks, Ashley. Hey, guys, it's Ash here. And I am completely captivated by this conversation that Christine brought up around safety. And I thought it was really interesting that she said she knows she's in a good connection when she's not thinking about what she texts the person. And um, I did another episode with the author of Deeper Dating. His name is Ken Page. And that should be airing soon if you haven't seen it come out yet. It's an incredible episode. And he talks about how there's two types of attraction. He talks about attractions of deprivation and attractions of inspiration. And I think for whatever reason, based on our childhoods, based on what became a comfort zone for us or how we defined love, we get used to our reality um, feeling like deprivation or inspiration. So if, if you came from a household where you learned that love is with your cup full and that you don't have to hustle for anybody's love, especially not your parents, then you are going to tend to skew towards attractions of inspiration. That means attracting partners that feel safe, that feel inspiring, that make you more creative, that bring more happiness. Um, but if in your household you had a parent that wasn't available to you, whether they weren't physically available, they were out of the house all the time, or they weren't emotionally available, maybe they were too distracted to listen to you, or maybe they didn't have the depth to really hear you, or maybe you shared something with them and they couldn't hold it because it was a big thing that you shared and it was beyond the scope of what their emotional bandwidth was. Whatever that is, um, that can create long-term attractions of deprivation. And what that looks like is for whatever the reason, we're attracted to people that can't be there for us and can't really love us the way we want to be loved. And instead of accepting that, we stay with the person and we try to fix it. We try to play something out. And that's why my invitation for you today is to start to evaluate where you're at in your relationship, where you're at in your friendships, where you're at in your dating life. If you're dating, are you attracted to people who inspire you or deprive you? Are you interested subconsciously in the chase? And if you are, that's the work. That's when you start to look at like, what was it like growing up in your household? Were you deprived in some way or starved of a connection that you wish was there? Um, and how are you playing that on your love life? Because the way we do it is it becomes a comfort zone for us. People quote unquote feel like home when really we're just chasing familiar feelings that don't really work for what we really want in life. So um, I hope you kind of think about these things. I thought this episode was amazing and I really just love Christine's vibes and I'm so grateful that you listened in. All right. This is Ash signing off, sending you all the love.
Thanks again for tuning into this week's episode of the U-Turn Podcast. We keep really detailed show notes at U-TurnPodcast.com. So if our guest mentioned a book or a resource that you're interested in, you'll be able to find that there. In the meantime, if you were inspired by this episode, if it made an impact in your life, we would be so grateful if you subscribed and posted a review for us on iTunes. Rumor has it on the street, the more reviews we get, the more subscribes we get, the more we can grow and get our impact out there in the world. In the meantime, I'd love to hear from you at Ashley Stahl on Instagram. I'm so grateful for connecting and I look forward to next week's episode. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's going to push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join podcast royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox or wherever you listen to your podcasts.